1: I mean, here's a guy that criticizes everybody, whoever they take. He's got the answers to uh, who you should take and who you
2: shouldn't take. And all of a sudden, he's an expert. He's in our paper two days ago telling us who we have to take.
0: Welcome back to another episode of the Believe in NFL Draft Prospects podcast. I'm Joe DeLeon, joined by Ryan Roberts and Alex Gilstrap. We are your go-to source for NFL Draft prospects analysis content, as well as top interviews with big-name prospects. The guys that you want to hear from this week, we have Greg Russo, the edge defender from Miami. So stay tuned on Thursday for that episode. He recently opted out of the 2020 college football season, one of the many players so far to already do so. So today's episode, this week, is edge week, the pass rushers, the guys that are going after the quarterback and defending the edge some very top-level talented guys in this group, and ultimately, some of these guys are going to be making some serious bucks because of their talent. Now, we've been a bit spoiled, guys, these past few years with Chase Young and then Nick Bosa going the previous year before. Rousseau seems to be that top guy, but I think a lot of people really want to know how does Rousseau compare to two top-heavy groups like we've seen in back-to-back years? Ryan, what, what are your thoughts on on Russo's comparison in terms of his potential and his ceiling compared to Bosa and Young?
1: Well, I, I mean, I personally think that he has a higher ceiling than at least a Nick Bosa potentially. Now, be, that being said, as a prospect right now for me, he's going to be lower than both guys just because there's so much to work out. He's not a finished product. You're really banking on upside the athletic profile, all those things are really easy to see. If we're comparing him, though, to Chase Young before this past season, right when they were both second-year players going into their last year in a vacuum, right, I think Mm -hmm. that I would take Russo over Chase Young going into their third years on campus. Obviously, the detriment to that conversation, though, is with Russo leaving early, he's behind the eight ball a little bit. You know, we won't see that guy – on a football field in a year and a half, or whatever it is, when he ultimately becomes a rookie now after the 2021 cycle, so it's interesting conversation. The upside is immense. It, it ultimately, you know, without more film and, and more ability for him to improve in his game, he's probably going to he's going to slot at least for me behind those two guys at least. But if we're talking about pu- upside potential, he's right in that conversation. It's just with everything happening with COVID nineteen and the opt out decision. He's going to be a little behind the eight ball as far as as um, as playing time experience because C- he's a guy, and we're probably going to get more on in depth on him later. Like he barely played defensive end in high school; he was mostly a safety. And during that interview with with uh, with him, wide receiver safety um, down there in Florida playing high school football, so uh, Coconut Beach, and he is raw still, because you can tell that he hasn't been playing the position very long, but the upside is right there, but ultimately I think that he's not going to quite be in that tier with the Boses and the Youngs just because he does not have that last year of film.
2: Yeah, so a lot of, like you said, Russo, Russo's you know draft hype is based on projection. It's based on what this guy could be. I mean, golly, what do you have, 15.5 stacks last year, and this guy has very, very little technique to his game this guy's just a freak athlete he's just at that size at that length at that athleticism I mean there's just not college college football players that are going to be able to stop him so uh yeah I, I think I think a lot of people are kind of upset not upset maybe that's not the right term but a lot of people are kind of questioning Russo declaring and opting out of this season uh putting the health risk aside just talking about on film um, but I mean, at the end of the day, you're you're he's going to be a top ten pick. Let's just let's just call it that. You're talking about an edge rusher, which is a highly valued position. This guy is it, all the tools, all the tools and the uh, the traits. Um, we we I wish we would have got that year, like Ryan said, like Chase Young got, like you know Nick Bosa got to really really uh, jump up draft boards and kind of solidify himself as one of the top couple players in the draft uh with with a little bit more refinement in his pass rush technique and and so on just one more year of tape would have been beneficial for him but I mean the tools like Ryan said I mean they're just they're there and because he's playing the position he's playing and with those tools he's going to be a top selection uh I think he made the right decision as far as everything goes with 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 the with the way the world is right now so um so yeah I'm not as high on him I think as as some people, I still think he's a top-ten player, but he's probably going to start off, uh, you know, kind of until we go into uh, final grades, you know, getting closer to the draft. He's going to probably be closer to ten than one, which is where I had, you know, Nick Bosa, uh, Chase Young. They were both number two on my big board for their years. So um so I think I think we're getting a little bit of a step back as far as and it just and it just kind of it just kind of because his his refinement and his technique. So all the tools are there. Uh, wish we would have got another year of tape. Obviously, with everything being the way is I think you made the right decision because I think at the end of the day, he'll be a top 10 guy.
0: We've already discussed the opt out situation for Russo. We've already had a number of big name players, Caleb Farley, Rondell Moore, Micah Parsons, the list is seemingly growing for these 2021 draft prospects. So I just want to hit on, because it's so relevant with everything going on, the Mac just shut down. We've got all of these FCS players deciding to transfer. I'm just curious to hear your guys' just quick thoughts on how this is going to impact the draft process, going off of some guys who only have maybe one or two years of tape that showed promise, but you are banking on seeing that third year to solidify your thoughts and opinions on a prospect. Ryan, do you think this is going to really negatively impact things or is it just going to have to be a different uh, evaluation process this time around?
1: I think it's going to really stress the relationship between coaches and scouting departments. And when I say that is people are going to be banking a whole lot more on potential and traits. So it's really important for scouts to understand exactly what a coaching staff is looking for and exactly what they need at a certain position for their offense or their defense or their special teams to be very successful. I think that that relationship is going to be paramount. Is it going to alter things? Absolutely. I feel like the guys mostly though, that we're going to see declare are the guys that are, I feel like every year we go into draft cycles and there's probably between 10 to 15 guys that are no slam dunk, talent-wise, on the field, the athletic profiles are going to be first-round picks. So I don't think that that's going to affect that too much. I think that there's going to be a lot more uh, ability to trust, again, between those departments of NFL teams. It's really going to stress that relationship. You really have to trust what one another is doing. And it's going to – I mean, at worst, it's going to provide some opportunity for some FCS kids, right, because like a lot of guys – Have that question mark, like level of competition, right? Like how will they do against the big boys? Some of these guys, like we're seeing Kevin Thompson over at Washington, Shane Simpson going out of the University of Virginia, Rashawn Henry from St. Francis, going down to University of Virginia as well. There is obviously some guys that are choosing to make that step. I just saw Ellerson Smith from Northern Iowa is transferring as well. So it's going to provide some guys more opportunity. And I think that, again, the infrastructure of NFL teams from a scouting, uh, scouting department to a coaching staff is going to be so important this year, maybe more than ever has been because you are taking some gambles and you really have to trust what one another is doing in order to to get your your team in position to continue to have success at whatever level you um you've been showing over the last couple of years.
2: Well, God, Ryan hit it on the head. That's exactly what I was going to the, the point I was going to bring up is you're going to see, you know, these these coaching staffs and these front offices really trust uh the 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 word of the the college coach, you know, we see we see trends for you know the the patriot or um, uh, who is it is it the, it's the raiders that takes Clemson players so you're gonna right, see right. I, I I think yeah you're gonna see you're gonna see a lot of that I think where you have these relationships from you know NFL front offices and, and college coaches and there it's gonna be a lot of trust just like Ryan said so I think you're gonna see a lot of that maybe more often than than previous years you're going to have teams double up from a similar school or you know kind of focus in on a couple different schools that they can they can trust the the coaching staff there yeah this this weird this season is going to be weird you know you have all this movement all this uh all this change every day we're getting new updates so uh it's just it's a constantly evolving process and this year I think we're gonna see. I think we're gonna see the draft get moved back because I think you're gonna get some action in the spring. Is what it is. What it looks like. It's uh, leaning towards and just to kind of level the playing field as far as opportunity for the for the NFL for some of these FCS guys and and so on. I th- I think the draft will be moved back and I think it's gonna. There's gonna be a lot of question marks going into into this year. Uh, it really kind of just depends on where this COVID track goes next. You know, if it starts to finally, you know get get to where we want it to be uh and we can have those pre-draft you know because we got to start talking about the pre-draft process the the pro days and and um and the the combine like come come march are we are we going to be able to have these things the the senior bowl like i mean god forbid it's 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 still you know at a point where we can't have those things but I think there's going to be a lot of question marks, and it's just an ever-evolving thing this year. I think it's definitely going to be a weird year for, for the draft.
1: And I think one more like crazy point is I was talking to a, a couple of former scouts the other day, and they were saying that they think a lot of lower-level agents are just going to completely just – I'm good with this year. You know, I'm not going to invest money into some of these players because like we're saying, there's so many question marks. There's so many moving parts that you're going to see a lot of businessmen just make the decision to opt out in a way as well. They're just going to say, okay, I I can't put money on the line for something that is this uncertain. So I feel like it's throwing everybody, um, you know, through a loop right now. And especially in the scouting world, it's it's going to make everything crazy because we're talking about guys not having the opportunity to go to schools, you know, game visits, all those types of things. Part of the evaluation is being able to look a kid in the face, question him, talk to him, see that character. And it's just going to limit so many different things from so many different avenues kind of moving forward here.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of moving pieces that are, are coming into this now. There's just so many variables. And we're only at the beginning of this. We're, we're at the very brink of what's actually going to be uh, the, the final wave of how we'll see This draft process play out. Last year's draft process ended up being weird because this all came down right at the very end of it, right in March when pro day circuits were just starting. Now we get the whole beginning half of the draft process being completely screwed up because a lot of guys might not even play games. Most guys are probably not going to play games. Guys are going to be transferring. Some guys might transfer and might not even get on the field and then when things possibly could be back to normal, not back to normal, but looking better is in February and March. That could be when uh, when things are a little bit more normal. And that's, the, that, that, that's just the weird shift that we're dealing with right now is not really understanding what's going to happen and having a, a lack of ability to properly evaluate these guys. So you guys both hit that on the head perfectly. Well, before we get into the sleepers, there's one thing that I noticed with your top five lists, both of your guys' lists that you sent to me, and I noticed that you have a guy from Washington and a guy from Pitt. I'm not going to name any names. You don't have to if you don't want to, and you don't want to spoil anything. And also, there were guys from Washington and Pitt on your lists last week. So I want to hear your thoughts on, and Alex, why don't you go first, on how talented is that unit as a whole for Washington and also for Pitt, because to have two guys in the top fives at interior defensive line and edge is, is pretty pretty crazy to have.
2: Yeah, it, it is impressive as far as individuals uh, on these lists from these schools. Um, you know, you expect that with teams like Clemson and Georgia and Alabama. Uh, but to, to get it from kind of, you know, Washington and Pitt, who are, you know, they're, they're good programs, Power Five programs, that, but they're not powerhouse. So to have two individuals, you know, back-to-back you know episodes for us to be in our top fives is really impressive I don't know if I'm necessarily as as big on the units as far as like the whole defense is on either of these units I think they just have individual talent and I think we're going to I'm not going to spoil anything because I honestly haven't even watched them yet because I'm going position by position with the with the podcast schedule but I know there's some names for both of these schools and in, in the defensive back you know with uh with Paris Ford from Pitt and uh and uh Elijah Molden from Washington uh playing the nickel so Um, so we may even see more from these two schools, which is kind of, which is kind of insane to think, you know, that these two programs are developing such good individual talent. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I'm glad you pointed it out. I didn't even notice it whenever I made my top five, but it it is interesting that these two programs are producing such good individual talent.
1: And and I I just personally love watching Pitt play football defensively because they are your typical, not super highly recruited. Um, you know, they take gambles on on traits coming out of co- uh, coming out of high school a little bit. And they developed talking about Twyman and Patrick Jones. Like those guys are now legitimate NFL prospects. We're going to talk about one here shortly, obviously. And on the other side of Washington, I have to, you know, so obviously super talented, right? Like we, we, you guys heard last week how big of a fan I was of Levi Omri I I love him a lot. We're going to talk about another, uh, their edge today, uh, who I guess I'll, I'll remain nameless and, for a little bit here. <laughs> but um, it, it's it's very frustrating to me watching Washington defense sometimes for their front four, or I should say front three, uh, because they play the odd man front. So like they put Levi at 288 pounds into a lot of five-tech duty which is not advantageous to his style. You know, I I want that guy to be in a three tech and I want him to beat up on guards all game. So it kind of clouds the the evaluation a little bit. And then the edge that we're going to get to today, like he is a true outside five tech, seven tech, like, I mean, sorry, five tech and nine tech. Like I want him on the outside shade of offensive tackle or a tight or a tight end, I want him to do that all the time. But they have him playing like four head up on the offensive tackle, four eyes sometimes. Like it's just not, it's not conducive to their success with their skill set. So it's a little frustrating. But obviously, they have also done a good job of evaluating talent bringing it up, and then continuing to build on it, you know, weight room, athleticism, like they, they get those attributes into them. I just personally wish that the Huskies would would do better with changing schemes because I understand they run a 3-4, but, like, these are the guys you have. We have to, you know, butcher uh, – I don't want to say butcher. We have to change the defensive <laughs> scheme a little bit to fill what you have, right, to, to fit what you have. Stop fitting square pegs in the round holes. I want to see these guys in their best possible position as they make that transition.
0: So like we always do, we like to share a sleeper, a guy that might not be as highly talked about. We're going to cover those highly talked about guys, the top five best players in your edge classes. But I'm curious to hear who those players that might not be talked about right now. Alex, your guy is a bit intriguing. Uh, He's somebody from a, a bigger program, but you feel he's currently being a bit undervalued?
2: Yeah, so that, I guess that's been kind of a common trend with with this kind of segment at each position. Is I'm I'm targeting big schools, just guys that I feel like have a have an opportunity to to really blow up. And for me this week, it's it's Georgia's Aziz Oj- Ojolari, um, only five and a half sacks last year, which which doesn't sound crazy. Uh, only played in eleven games. Georgia has struggled to to generate sacks for years now I it was interesting I was reading up on it you know I'm a Georgia fan and I've always kind of noticed that Georgia you know doesn't disrupt you know doesn't get the sacks you know great defense probably what top three in the nation arguably Um, but just generating sacks is just something they don't do well Um, so only five and a half sacks in 11 games last year but man I, I heard this this kind of referred to in another podcast I can't remember which one it was but you talk about I can take this man's best probably 10 plays or so and we we could talk about a first round guy I mean the flashes on this guy is insane he can attack the outside shoulder with speed and and bend and flexibility and explosiveness uh, and then he he can build work off that and and stunt inside I, I mean this guy he's got active feet I love his hands especially on his on his peak plays on those flash flashy plays. I mean, his hands look like a first round, first round talent. Um, you know, Georgia uses a lot of a lot of sub packages. They're constantly moving guys in and out. So I, I want to see him. You know, I know we won't probably at Georgia, but I want to see him play a little bit more down to down. I don't think he he has an opportunity at Georgia to really get in a groove, uh, which can be frustrating at times. I feel like you know he can have a really really nice play, and then you won't see him for five, ten plays. You know, maybe the rest of the series. So. I think this guy, like I said, you take his top ten plays, and we're talking about a first round talent, and and I think it it stacks up with with the best of them, you know, Greg Russo, all of them. I think if you take this guy, um, yeah, I just I just need to I I want Georgia to use him a little bit more as a primary focus, and I I just want to see a little bit more snap count percentage to be a little bit higher, Um, but yeah, we're we're talking about tools. I mean. 1st step explosiveness is off the charts I mean this guy when he when he gets that first step I mean sometimes he'll try to he'll try to uh jump the jump the snap but when he when he settles in with himself and is just reactionary uh yeah this guy is uh this guy's impressive I, I I'm a big fan of Aziz Ojolari.
1: yeah I, I really liked ojalari too he would have been one of the, like maybe the second or third guys I would have mentioned in this conversation just because you know he plays at Georgia so I feel like he's been mentioned Somewhat a little bit, but I, I definitely agree. The flashes are there. If you want, if you want a really fun game uh, for any listener out there, like go watch his game against University of Tennessee last year. It yep. was it was stupid, man. Like it, he had like ten hurries, like a couple sacks. It was absolutely ridiculous. One of the best tapes I've seen of any uh, three, four outside linebacker in this class so far. Like he was absolutely dominant. There was even a play where he kind of had an inside move. Trey Smith was there, and then he was able to put his che- put his head down right into the middle of Trey Smith's chest and move Trey Smith off his spot. I was like, okay, there's a, there's a little power there, too, on top of having really nice transitional quickness. So when we're talking 3-4 rush backers, definitely Aziz is a guy to keep an eye on. And I, I think it's really fitting here for my sleeper, the guy that I think needs to get talked about a whole lot more. It's, it's in a similar mold. He's a 3-4 outside backer just because he lacks – the you know the huge frame he's only around six foot three two fifty I'm talking about Malcolm Koontz from Buffalo who's gotten a little bit of talk I know Jim Nagy's a big fan of him over there at the Senior Bowl so I'll say Koontz, man he is he's good like and you know I'm gonna go I'll, obviously a lot more in depth on that but I just want people to understand like a University of Buffalo edge is a very good player don't look at don't scout the helmet here he is again six three two fifty. He's an explosive athlete, changes directions so well. He's loose. I think he's going to test phenomenally. He's not the power profile that you want at that position. But I'll tell you what, man, Like he can threaten the outside shoulder. He's shown some inside counters because he can get offensive tackle to really open up their shoulders, dip inside. He has some rush variety to him. He's got some moves. I am a huge fan of Malcolm Kuntz. He is I can see the rise, man, and unfortunately, with the max shutting down, he might have to make a decision here, right? Like, is he going to enter the draft and just opt out of the season, or is he going to potentially, you know, make the take the transfer route? I would love him personally to take that transfer route. I think this is a you know player by player basis on that decision, but I think if he goes to a big school, you're really going to start to see him rise because I think he's one of the most talented pass rushers in this class, and I am just I'm so excited to see. Opportunity for Malcolm continuing here because I think that there is so much more that he can put out there on tape.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of Malcolm Coons. I, I I he was actually you know I, t- I told you coming into the into the show that that uh he was going to be my guy, but you picked him up first. I was like ah well you know I got Ojulari, so uh, big fan of Malcolm Coons as well. I think this guy is going to go somewhere, like you said and. He, his name's getting a lot of run today I, I've noticed you know with with the mac news he's probably the best player in the Mac you know the one that the the one that's probably gonna get uh drafted the highest out of out of all the uh the Mac conference so uh yeah I'm a big fan of Malcolm Coons I, I like that one
0: Guys, let's get on into discussing your top five lists for edge prospects. Like we always do, I'm going to share the four and five guys on your lists. Alex, you had Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan at four. Number five, Joe Tyron from Washington. That was the Washington guy that we were referring to. Ryan, you conversely had Tyron at four from Washington. And then Jason Owe from Penn State. So I, I always notice that whenever we do this and we talk about the fours and the fives, more often than not, and I, I think it might be every single show, you guys always have one player that you agree on in your four and five, whether they're in different spots, but o- there's always one guy that is always there and consistent. So I want to hear what you guys think of, of Joe Tyron and why you think he deserves to be in this top five conversation.
1: Well, I- I'll say, you know, for this edge class. There's not a lot of proven quantity at the top, right? Like there's Greg Russo, who is, is even a question mark. This class is incredibly talented. There's a lot of interesting players that could make that potential rise. So, for this top five, particularly when I was putting it together, you'll see a theme here, right? You'll see a theme of long, athletic pass rushers with potential versatility to their game. You will see that every guy is above six foot five on my list. So, you're going to see that. And so when we're talking about Tyron, play him out of position. Don't love how Washington uses him, but at 6'5", 260 pounds, I want to see him in a four-man front as a defensive end. I want to see him going all the time. I do not want to see him dropping back in coverage in space. I do not want to see him playing odd alignments as a four or four-eye. Like, I don't want to see that. I want to see him on the outside shade, a a tackle or tight end. I want to see him in attack mode. And, again, man, he's got that length. He's got some impressive transitional quickness. His get-off is good. There's a lot of potential there. He needs to put it together. He had like a three-game span where he had most of his production last season. Seemed like he was starting to get it a little bit, you know, and there was just other games where he just sort of disappeared a little bit. But for now, with this how this edge class is shaping out, I'm going to bank on that, that talent level, those traits. That's really And traits, I cannot emphasize this enough, is so important on the edge. Defensive end, outside linebacker, whatever it is, it is so vital to this evaluation. So Joe Tyron has a lot to work with. I'm buying into it right now. I don't think that he's a threat to climb into the top two or three, but I think that he has enough length, athleticism to really have it, to be a big player in this edge class overall.
2: Yeah, Ryan. What do we what do we say in our summer scouting series? We 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 scout for upside. We're looking at upside. We, you, you, we do, we're not interested in those guys that that uh that have, you know, maybe that high floor, but they're pretty much maxed out. And, you know, we had that conversation about maxed out athleticism in frame last week when we were um who are we talking about last week? Um the oh, out. You're style. talking
1: Twyman, right? Twyman, Twyman. yeah.
2: Yep. So we're we're talking about and and there's someone that I, I when we get to our guesses I'll I'll bring up again, but uh, there's someone that I think is also kind of maxed out. I don't see much room for growth, and i am he's not in my top five, and he's highly touted. I don't know if he's going to be in yours. Um, so, you know, it, it, when we're talking about this summer scouting, we are looking for upside. You know, we're not we, – these guys that, you know, may be good now, but is that all we're getting? It, and That's not going to fly in the NFL. So, no, I'm a big fan of Joe Tryon. I wish y'all could see my notes right here I'm looking at. The first note I have, and it's the first thing I noticed when I popped on the tape, is long. And as, as my film session with him went on, it continued to be circled. I've had this thing circled like 15 times. It, it's kind of it's funny looking, but uh, dude, this guy's immensely long and he's super athletic. I'm a big fan of Joe Tryon, so uh, yeah.
0: So as we've done on every show, I say this every single time, we're going to guess who we think each other's top threes are. So Alex, you're up first. You will guess... Ryan's top three edge defenders.
2: So the guy I was referring to, Quincy Roche, you know, the Miami transfer uh, from Temple, it, it, I don't think he's going to be in either one of our top fives, which is going to be surprising to some people as he's looked at as a as a first-round guy. So I'm not going to put Roche in there. I think that, obviously, Greg Russo is going to be number one. I think he's head and shoulders, uh, the, the highest upside guy. I think he's going to be the number one guy. Um, I'm going to go... Patrick Jones the second from Pitt two, and I think you're not going to be as high on him, but you but he's got to be in your top three. Carlos Basham Jr. from Wake Forest.
0: You're oh, saying yeah. Basham is at three?
2: Yes, yeah, Basham at three. Okay,
0: okay. Now Ryan, it is your turn to guess Alex's top three.
2: Okay, so Greg
1: Russo's the gimme at one. Oh man, um, number two I'm going to say is Basham because Alex loves boring. And number three, I'm going to say he has Chris Rump from Duke. Wow.
0: Okay. So we almost had three straight shows of correctly predicting top threes. Ryan, you were one guy away. You almost did it, but you managed to botch that last pick. So the, the way that the top threes go, Ryan is Greg Russo Patrick Jones, Carlos Basham. So Alex, you got that correct. Again, you're on a hot streak uh, yeah. here.
2: You know, I'm just, I, I, I think I'm understanding his thought process. I, I get, I get it. I can guess all of his thoughts. Talk- he
1: just, he just oh. he stalks my Twitter. That's all that's happening. That's all
2: <laughs> I'm
0: yeah. I think that's what it is. I think, I think Alex, the reason why he's not responding before the show when we're trying to, trying to figure <laughs> stuff out. Yeah. He's just going through Ryan's turn. Like, who's he putting there? Who's, who's he putting there? Um, Alex's top three was Rousseau, Basham, and then Patrick Jones Ooh. from Pitt. So you guys agreed on all, all three guys. You just were so close, Ryan, to correctly uh, guessing Alex's top what three. Made you,
2: what so- made you think I was a rump guy?
1: I thought we talked about him before, and you said, like, I, I could see an upside of being, like, a top 20 pick. Wasn't that you? Was that you? Yeah,
2: no, but that was, like, that was two, that was so two months ago. I watched one game. <laughs> uh, no, I told you. I did say that. I was, like, I've literally watched one game, and, and I looked up his highest production, like, highest sack number game, and I watched that one. So, I mean, so once, you know, I, what are you doing with it? This is just me. I think he has all the tools still, um, but I can't do anything if you're 225. You know, I can't. I don't know what to do with you at the NFL level. So uh, he's going to be someone that if 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 I see him add you know 15 pounds come come draft time, he'll definitely shoot up my board because I love his pass rush plan. I love I love him as a player. I just don't know what to do with 225 pounds at an edge rush.
1: I, I know what to do with him. He's playing Sam Backer in my four three, and he's going to come down on on under fronts. So that's exactly what he's going to do for me. Mm.
2: I I. I yeah, okay. I mean, yeah, but uh, I want to see him gain weight still. I think he's better suited uh, playing 4-3 uh, at defensive end, and I just want to see him gain some weight. I think that's his better projection.
0: So to wrap today's show, I just want to cover these two guys that you both have in your top threes, being Patrick Jones and Basham. So let's start with Basham. Ryan, what are your thoughts on Basham? What makes him a top three guy? Or for your case, actually for your case, yes, as the the third guy on the list, what makes you like
1: him so much? So I I said, right, like I wanted to bank on traits in this top five, and that even goes to Jason Owe, who we didn't really talk about, you know, at number five for me is I'm buying into those traits. Owe is a completely different player than a guy like Basham. Owe is a potential upside pick where I could see him very easily getting into a top three conversation when all is said and done. He just hasn't played enough yet for Basham. He is super consistent. He reminds me a little bit of, and I'm not comparing him to this caliber of player, but like how the Giants used Justin Tuck, uh, you know, when they were you know going to the Super Bowl and doing all those good things. Like he's a he's an edge guy that wins with power, and then he could come inside on third downs and do different things because his length is such a um, a detriment for offensive guards, right? Like it's it's a difficult um, it's a difficult assignment to have. So I think Basham is that big bodied edge who is a defensive end I should say uh some people hate the term edge but big body defensive end that can move inside potentially on third downs I want to be able to use his versatility I think he's a good enough athlete I think his length is really nice I think he's suit, he's got a great motor he's physical I don't know if I want him on the edge all the time that that's kind of like my one uh, my one uh, you know troubling part about him for me is I I just don't know if I would completely label him a full-time edge i want to move him all over the place i wouldn't rule out potentially gaining you know 10 15 pounds and him playing in an odd man front playing a lot of five tech like i I think that he could potentially do those types of things so that's what held him back from being number two for me because i was just banking on a little more athletic profile with a guy like patrick jones but i think carlos basham is rock solid i don't know if the nfl is going to value him. Early, I think that he's going to be more late first, early second type of player. But you know, he's a safe prospect. There's a lot of things to like. So Carlos Basham is just a super solid edge prospect in the 2021 class.
2: I'll I completely, completely, yeah, no, I completely agree with what Ryan just said. As far as the NFL, I don't think he's going to value him as highly just because he he doesn't have immense upside. I would say I I do love his floor though. I think this guy's going to come in and he's going to contribute right away. I mean, just watching this guy uh, rush the passer, he he's reactionary. There's a difference, you know. He's not just throwing moves together like Patrick Jones is right now. He's just trying something out and seeing if it works. I think Carlos Basham more so is keeping his eyes in the backfield and he's reacting off what the tackle's giving him. Uh, so I think that that doing that provides him a, a nice floor. That I think this guy's going to be an every down guy, you know, uh, at the NFL level, very early in his career. I just – I think he's really, really good against the run. I think he's probably the best guy – I'm just trying to look through some names to make sure I not miss anybody. Yeah, I think he's the best run defender out of this group. Uh, I, I don't think there's there's anyone that can compete with him in that regard, and I think he's a, he's a really good pass rusher, as we've seen. Uh, kind of surprised he didn't um, – uh, he didn't declare this past year. He was someone that I I'd watched previously because I just assumed he was going in with with the production he put up, and I thought his name was getting enough buzz. Uh, maybe he just didn't like where he was being valued from the advisory board. Um, but no, like Ryan said, he's just a rock solid player. I, I I can bank on this guy. He's someone that I I just know. Uh, if I take, you know, I think he'll end up being a late first round guy because I think he'll go to a team that. Maybe they're just like a couple pieces away. Maybe that piece, one of those pieces is the edge rusher. He's someone that can come in and contribute right away. You know what you're getting uh, for a team that's that's ready to compete for a Super Bowl. So I, I like Carlos Basham more than Patrick Jones just because I feel like there's more nuance to his rush. I think he, he understands what he's doing. And like I said, he the game is slower. That's what it is. That, that, that's what I've been trying to get around. It seems like the game is slow for Carlos Basham. He, he just he understands, he dissects things in front of him So well. And I, that's, that, that's my favorite thing about him. I mean, he, he's a solid athletic profile. I think he's probably, you know, an above average athlete, uh, not, not nothing crazy. Um, but I just love the way mentally he, he, he goes about playing the position.
1: And Joe, did you like that Justin Tuck comp, man? Wasn't that a good one?
0: Uh, I did. I appreciated that. And I think Justin Tuck was not always the the best pass rusher. Right. But what made him so good was the way that they used him and how he complimented everybody on that defense with the with the Giants. There were so many talented guys in that. Grabosa, Yumiura, Jason Pierre-Paul. It just worked so well together. So I just want to hit on this last guy who you guys have – gradually touched on when comparing him to Basham, Patrick Jones. How do you feel about him? Uh, Ryan, you're obviously a little bit higher on Jones than Alex is just ever so slightly. Where does he fit into this class and and how good of a prospect really is he?
1: I I mean, I like Patrick Jones a, a bunch, man. Like, again, long, athletic. For me, that's the separator, right? When I'm looking at athleticism compared to a Carlos Basham, I see a much higher ceiling there. Is the floor a little bit lower than Basham? Yeah, it 100% is. But, again, we're banking a little more on potential here in the summer scouting period. For me, like, man, Jones has a toolbox. He's not just a speed rusher. He's got some nice hand usage. He puts offensive tackles in some very tough situations, man, and he's explosive. I I, I hope, you know, that he gets the opportunity to play football, obviously a, a, a bigger sample size because I think he was just starting to tap into the overall potential He's got some nice bend. Everything is there. I'm not quite, he's not a consistent football player right now. So I can't put him, you know, obviously in the conversation with Greg Russo right now. But like he's firmly in that top three for me. And he's number two for me currently just because I think that the upside is so immense. I think he potentially be an eight plus sack guy at the next level, speed. Can convert some speed to power, has good hand usage. Like, I just think there's a complete athletic profile there to not just be a speed rushing, you know, situational pass rusher, to be an all around football player who has the speed, the power, the hand usage. He just has a little bit of everything going for him.
2: No. Yeah. I, yeah. Patrick Jones got me out of my seat a couple of times, man. He loves to attack that outside shoulder of the, the tackle and bend that edge. And, and when it, when it hits, it hits. And uh, Patrick Jones is, it is an impressive athlete, like you said. So I just want to see a little bit more consistency, like I said, and uh, the biggest thing for the difference between them, they're both retro seniors. So we're not talking like much of an age difference. So the biggest difference for me is just, I felt like the game was a lot slower for Carlos Batchel. I think he dissected things, uh, uh, a lot quicker than than that of patrick jones uh but yeah that dude I, I i'll tell you i probably got out of my seat two or three times watching patrick jones uh i do think he's being undervalued in just the draft no one's really i mean not no one's really talking about him. i'm but for a what both of us agree is a top three guy in this class Uh, at the position uh, I feel like he's being undervalued a little bit Um, so I I hope we get to see him like you said this pit defense is fun you know I've watched a little bit of Paris Ford and we will get to him here in a couple weeks but uh, yeah this pit this pit defense is fun so I I hope we get to see him I want to see him uh, just continue to get better because he has throughout his career
0: guys that's all we have for this Ed show great conversation today about a very talented group especially with Greg Rousseau, who's going to be on the show on Thursday. So you'll get to hear that conversation with Ryan. Yet another amazing interview that we've already been pushing through and getting tons and tons of them out already, despite the show only really being around for a few weeks. The names continue to get bigger. The interviews continue to get better. So tune in for that one uh, on Thursday. Be sure to go follow us on social media. You can follow me at Joe DeLeon. You can follow Ryan at Rise and Draft. And you can follow Alex at Alex Also, go follow Believe Podcasts at B-L-E-A-V, podcasts on Twitter and Instagram, and head to their website, believe.com, to find our show as well as hundreds of other shows. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, any of those available sources. You can find us there anywhere there's a podcast. We are there. We can 100% guarantee it. Thursday, stay tuned for those wonderful Edge interviews featuring Greg
1: Russo.